I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, everyone. You have arrived at Characters on the Couch. I'm Jordana Horn, and I am here with my dear friend, Dr. Adam Stern. Hi there. And we're going to be chatting all about analysis of fictional people. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Characters on the Couch. I'm Jordana Horn, and I'm here with Dr. Adam Stern. A pleasure as always, Jordana. As always, as always. So today we're talking about kind of an unsung hero among, I mean, I don't know, does the BBC, like, do Brits put out any bad TV? Maybe not. I feel like when it when it crosses the ocean and it makes it to our TVs, it's got to be good already. It's almost like... True, true. Yeah. It's like, thanks for doing the dirty work of putting this together. So the, the show we're talking about today is Catastrophe. For those who haven't seen it, it's so much fun and yet not. It is about this American man, Rob, who has a what he thinks will be a one-night stand with this Irish woman in London, Sharon, and she becomes pregnant. And they decide unusually so, together to make a go of it and to be a couple and to be together and to have a family. And it is wild. And we were just talking before hitting record on this podcast about what it is that makes it so particularly great. And I'm going to throw out there that I think that this is such an unvarnished picture of what it is to be a couple. Everything from being sick of the way that your partner smells and carries themselves and chews, from that to the random fun moments of one person saying something and cracking up the other, Mm -hmm. um, to the sex, everything from the obligatory sex to the passionate sex. Mm-hmm. I just think it's it's a great 360 view mm. of what it is to really be in a couple, ironically, since this is, you know, this is a couple that came together not in the conventional let's get to know each other way, but rather they dove right in. Right. So I feel like our discussion today has to be about the psychology behind coupling, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, you're, I think you're so right because, you know, I bet the premise of the show, this is yet another one of our shows where the premise 
and what makes it brilliant are actually two different things. So yes. I feel like the premise was, okay, American guy, you know, has a fling with someone in, in London and now they're expecting and he decides because of various reasons he's going to, you know, move to London and try to make a go of it because he really enjoyed their time together and because now there's, you know, a fetus involved. And so that's like the premise, but then over four seasons, the thing, it's just like you described, the thing that felt so authentic and captivating, engaging was this this depiction of a couple. I mean, the show's called Catastrophe, but and there a lot of really, really catastrophic things happen as it does in life. But where the genius is is in in the reflection of like the the realism of their relationship and how messy it is, you know. Uh, that that yes. to me, I think, is what what draws me in the most. Right, and I think that American TV tends to sort of sand down the edges yep. on those kinds of things, and <laughs> stereotypically, I guess, deferring to the superficial. Right, you know, re- the lens is always refocusing on someone's hotness. You know, we're always diverted by like some sculpted abs or Mm -hmm. hot cleavage. And that's not what this is about Mm -hmm. at all. We have seen these people in every posture from, you know, trying to ride a woefully small London variant of city bike Mm -hmm. um, to, you know, to vomiting, to fighting over an extra extra couple, I guess, sexual liaison while their kid is bleeding from a head wound mm-hmm. in the hospital. I mm-hmm. mean, it's everything. And I just love it. I, I I love that about it. But let's talk a little bit about how, in a way, part of the magic is that they're sort of getting to know each other mm. while <laughs> while they're living life, as opposed to the more conventional setup of you're dating someone, you right. get to know them in these highly controlled circumstances where the person has taken care with their appearance and you're mm-hmm. in a restaurant or a venue with great lighting and, mm-hmm. you know, you, everything is set up to make you look your best. Whereas here, they're repeatedly plunged into situations that would make anyone look pretty crappy. <laughs> and and you're right, they skip to the the sort of the end of like being together and then they have to get to know each other. And that challenge just, you know, a lot of people try to talk Rob out of diving into the relationship. I think his own mother played by the late Carrie Fisher brilliantly, sort of tries to convince him in season one, like, uh, she's overseas. You don't have to worry about that, you know, uh, relate that, that woman and, and the baby she's carrying that happens to be yours, you know, and he, he goes, against all this advice because he wants to, to, he likes her and he wants to do the right thing both at the same time. I feel like the two characters also, if we can just get into them as a, a little bit as people, yes, really fascinating to me because I don't know, I, I'm very curious, let, let's just talk about this for a minute at least without any pretext of, of me being a psychiatrist and just, a, just as a male viewer. Fun. Let's I do ident- that. I identified a lot with Rob as a person and not at all with Sharon as a person. And I didn't why? know. I want to hear why. I don't know. I just, I, I, I felt like Rob 
was always trying to do the right thing. And, and some, sometimes he fumbled and often would end up in a bad situation and be very grumpy about it. And he had sort of like what I could identify as normal sort of uh, drives and urges and desires and frustrations and limitations, all of which made me feel like he was a very sympathetic person on the show. And the same, you could absolutely say the same thing about Sharon, but I don't know why her character struck me, I don't know, in some ways as, as more antagonistic. And I don't know if that is a reflection of my views on, you know, role, gender stereotypes or if it's, if it's built into the character, which is why I wanted to ask just as viewers, like what you, what you and I think, are we off, are we looking at it differently? I mean, Sharon's prickly, no question mm-hmm. about it. And that is part of what makes her hilarious. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what makes her, you know, it's like living with a porcupine. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's uh, challenging. And yeah, she's she's difficult. She can be very self-centered and infuriating. I'm just, I'm just thinking about, you know, such a, like a typical Sharon interaction is there after in whatever, it's almost too hard to get into, but Rob has his neck brace removed. Mm -hmm. They're coming out of the health clinic and they get into random semi-flirtation, semi-argument about how fit they are. Mm -hmm. And Rob says, go, we're in a race. Mm -hmm. And they run and Sharon loses egregiously. And she's like, come on, I was in heels. Mm -hmm. Like I'm carrying all the stuff. And then she just goes and she (laughs) runs like, and she's like, we're racing now. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and he's like, come on, you know, like I was trying to do this in an even way. And she's definitely someone who, you know, you're playing Scrabble and she, decides that the word that that is not a real word is in fact a word you know she, she's that's who she's she perpetually is, yeah. infuriating and she but she's so funny and she's so, so funny and likable too right and because she's so funny and because there's that i think both of them really lack a fundamental self-knowledge and i feel that that gap which rob tries to fill with alcoholism Mm -hmm. and she fills with anger. Mm -hmm. I I feel that that's in part what brought them together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you remind me of one other thing, you know, as everyone who's ever listened to the show knows, we don't talk about real people here, but they, they do something in the show, which they also did like in the office, which was sort of an interesting idea, which is to name the characters the same names as the people in real life. Yes. So Sharon is Sharon Morris on the show and she's Sharon Horgan in real life. And Rob is Rob Norris on the show and Rob Delaney in real life. And I know I've read some uh, of Rob's Rob Delaney's writing And I've been sort of a fan of his since he was just sort of Twitter famous. And Mm -hmm. so I know he writes very openly and beautifully and poetically about a couple of things. He writes about, uh, in real life, uh, he writes about his own struggles with alcoholism. And he also writes about having lost a child uh, to to brain cancer, which is the most tragic thing that any parent can, anybody can imagine, right? And he he actually has a book coming out like this fall on that topic that I I think 
it's going to be hard to read, but it's going to be, I, I just know it's going to be exceptionally well-written. So as the show's happening over, over four years and they name their characters after themselves, it, it almost entices the viewer to project their ideas of who the actor is onto the character. Right. And mm-hmm. so I don't know. I found that very, I knew, I knew Rob Delaney before the show, but I didn't know anything about Sharon Horgan, who was very, is very famous in Britain, right? And overseas. And is only through this show, I think, really uh, has become more famous in the U.S. Tell me, what do you think about that? I think that, yes, I think that's part of their willingness to go there, you know, to go deep is part of why it is so successful because it's honest and it's honest and there is no, you know, con, uh, I'm going to contradict you just slightly in that Rob has several extraordinarily annoying traits as well. He, so he, I just want to put that forward because I'm saying that there is no one protagonist. Mm-hmm. I would say if there's one protagonist in the show, it is the the concept of relationships yes, and what it means to be in a relationship and what it means to dedicate yourself to a relationship and to someone else, even when you're fumbling with parts of yourself, right? I mean, Rob, the character, I'm focusing back on the character now. So Rob, the character is struggling with this recurrent alcoholism. He has, he's uprooted, right? He's a fish out of water. He's in a country that's not his own. Mm-hmm. He has basically two friends, neither of whom is a particularly stable mm-hmm. source of support or insight. Mm-hmm. Maybe cr- arguably Chris more so than mm-hmm. than Dave, but that wouldn't be hard to be more of a support system than Dave. <laughs> and, you know, I just feel their struggles are so real and I want to kind of I want to kind of throw in this little little mention of a past show that we've mm-hmm. talked about together the bear mm-hmm. also really went deep into substance abuse and I think that this depiction and catastrophe is exactly what I'm talking about in the difference between American and British shows because this in catastrophe to me seems so much more honest. Yeah. And, you know, and not like, thank God this show, Catastrophe, does not have these long, meaningful soliloquies, you know, mm-hmm. like like the scene that everyone loves in the bear of mm. you know, him him pouring out his heart, you mm-hmm. know, at the at the Al Anon meeting. And I'm like, ugh. Yeah. That's not how life is. That's not how it's life not, is. you know, no nobody gets like the, like the soliloquy yeah. is something for it for dramatic effect, but here the soliloquies are you know between diaper changes and farts right. and missed taxis right. and you know and they're never longer than two sentences, and they're real. That's right. real. That's reality, and and that's what I love. And and I think that I think there are parallels to be made. Right, like what's interesting to me is I kept thinking about how. You know, we have our coupling ways here in the United States, mm-hmm. right? Or I would say as a broader brush, right, in secular society mm-hmm. of, you know, you meet, whether you're introduced through an app or through a friend 
or meeting at a bar and then you get to know each other gradually and you gradually meet each other's families and blah, 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 blah. And then another way of meeting your partner is through arranged marriages, Mm -hmm. right? Consensual, ideally, um, (laughs) arranged marriages. And I was thinking about how the, the fundamental ground underlying arranged marriages, where also people don't really get to know each other mm-hmm. very well before they are married, mm-hmm. is that the families have cased each other out mm. and, you know, sort of like sussed up the situation and been like, okay, this is a go. We're, compa- we're fundamentally compatible as families in mm. terms of our outlook. Mm-hmm. Here, there is no compatibility whatsoever. Right, not just family, but culturally, interpersonally, you know, everything is is almost written as incompatible. Yeah. Right. So tell me about the psychology of someone yeah. who would take that leap. Yeah. Like so- who would bungee jump into their future. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Yeah, I think that that the uh, the bungee jumping kind of approach in life it very much often stems from a desperation to fill a void that in that exists in your life. So the the image of Rob that we have, especially I would say it starts early in the show, but it does it's a thread that you can follow, is that he is he hasn't found it, you know, he hasn't found satisfaction, contentment. And I think that there's a there's, you know, I think he he moves to London to be with Sharon, to try to be a father to this child. He tells himself, I'm doing it because it's the right thing, but it's just as much to shake things up and see if maybe this is the way I find meaning in my life. I think that that's definitely part of what what's happening here. And I, I there's a scene or maybe a storyline early in the show. I think it's season one. It might be season two that he said something like, well, I always wanted to be like a a vet at a zoo. He's struggling in his career. He's like mm-hmm. not able to make it in the ad business or, you know, his plan isn't really working out. And, and he, he says to Sharon, I wonder like, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should pursue my childhood dream. And, and she's just like, no, you can't do that. That's you have a job, <laughs> you have a career path and you have skills and you are marketable in advertising. You're not marketable as a zookeeper, you know, like that's not <laughs> something that you can do. And that moment was so honest because I mean, who among us hasn't, hasn't had that thought of like, oh, I wonder if I should just you know, pursue that wild thing and then have someone 
or even their own conscience sort of say to them, no, you can't do that. You've done, you, you've gone too far down this direction. Just stick with what works, you know, mm, stick right. with what's functional, I should say. Right. Right. So I, I'm, I'm intrigued by this idea that people who take extreme steps mm-hmm. are trying to fill a void. Mm-hmm. So are those extreme steps, would you recommend that as a course of action for someone who comes and, you know, is on your proverbial couch? Right. Right. Very seldom does it work out for in a positive way. So that I, I think I'll give you a superficial example and a, and a more intense example. So super, let me, let me start with the more intense actually, because it's, it's uh, more reasonable to uh, start there. A very common thread and a, a phrase that I don't know if it appears in any textbooks, but it's pretty well known to psychiatrists and therapists around the country and the world probably is the thought of the geographic cure. I don't know if I've brought this up on the pod before. No, we haven't talked about it. So the geographic cure is an idea where, you know, you're working with a patient uh, over some time, maybe months, maybe even a year, two years. And at some point they come into your office and they say, I've got great news. I'm moving to Houston. Uh, I'm going to Houston because you say, oh, that's that's really great. Uh, I'm glad you're excited about it. Tell me more about why you're moving to Houston. And I'm making this up entirely, obviously, as a, as a hypothetical. And the patient might say, well, I've just always loved Texas and I've always wanted to live there and I'm just not happy here. And in so many words, they have been, they essentially communicate that they're not moving aspirationally toward goals really or toward their values, but rather as an escape of the life that that is feel, leaving them feeling unfulfilled uh, or challenged in some way. And it doesn't tend to work. You know, in other words, the, the problems that you have in one place tend to follow you to the next place. And the, yeah. <laughs> the less, uh, the more silly example of this for some of our listeners, I, I know I've been there and, and I'm sure some of our listeners can relate. If you're just feeling like stressed out sometimes, you might like go and and get your hair done it or like get a haircut in a way that's like a and for for men it might be like like shaving your head or like you know dyeing your hair you know like doing getting bangs people say for for some people with certain hair <laughs> like you know, these are these are things that people sometimes <laughs> do and they don't mm-hmm. even necessarily know but looking back it's almost always like associated with like if i change this superficial aspect of my appearance maybe the rest of my life will change too you know Right. So that's kind of like mini bungee. Right. It's a mini bungee. Right. As exactly. opposed to the geographic cure, which is much more. Yeah. And Rob's, Rob's taken um, it, I would say, even further by not just moving across the ocean, but actually deciding, you know, I'm going to try to immediately marry this person and be a father to this child, which, you know, is again part of the tension of the show is again, as the viewer, I think we're, we're sort of pulled to be like, yeah, Rob, like you've got a responsibility now. How are you going to navigate that? You know, I think if right. I, if I remember how it played when I first watched the first season, it was, I, you know, now I can't remember if there was ever a discussion of was she, I don't remember, was she always going to keep the baby or was that, was that something that was, was brought up in the show? I can't remember. I don't really remember either. I, I'm still in, I'm still recovering from my own geographic cure of, of taking a spontaneous, semi-spontaneous road trip after my first child went to college. Yeah. An attempt in a 
emotional reset. So I'm still, I'm still, uh, you know, regaining my balance in my regular life, but I'm not, I'm not sure. But I think that I want to bring it back to when we see what Rob is leaving, Mm -hmm. right? We see that contrary to, you know, the indisputable fact that Carrie Fisher is and was a remarkable gem of a human being, Mm -hmm she's not the best mom and she's not a bedrock of support for Rob. Mm -hmm. In fact, she's, she's much more in the albatross Mm -hmm. around his neck kind of category. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's coming from a history of, you know, there's been abuse, there's been alcoholism, like in in his, what's the word, you're growing up home Mm -hmm. where he was raised. So it makes it more understandable that he sees this as, you know, a choose your own adventure mm. way out mm-hmm. of his of his difficulties. Yeah. And there, there's an added layer, I think, where I don't know when we learn this, but certainly at the very, very end of the show, spoilers, of course, mm, of we course. see his father for the first time. And, you know, they have this confrontation. The father is uh, dying of uh, cirrhosis. He has cirrhosis of the liver. His skin is yellow and uh, from this disease. And and there's a real, I don't know, there's like a venom about that relationship that, that Rob just, he's never fully gotten, you know, nor should he sort of get over this idea of, of how he was treated by his own father. So that plays, you know, if we're, if we're putting back on the psychological hat a little bit, that very much plays into how he feels his responsibility is to this child. And, and then yes. what becomes, what, three or almost four children by the end of the show. And what he's, and also what he feels is his responsibility to Sharon Mm -hmm. because there's one very powerful scene with Carrie Fisher where she tells him, you know, my jaw clicks all the time because of your father having hit me. Right. You know, like you have to, you have to stop drinking because Mm -hmm. this is, this is what it can do to you. Mm -hmm. And in a moment of yet again, what I love about the show you know, Rob's like, I would never, I would mm-hmm. never hit Sharon. And his mother's like, she's so annoying. Like, of course you would hit her. <laughs> like, it's so horrible mm-hmm. and so funny at the same time. Mm-hmm. I feel it it exemplifies so much about the show that mm-hmm. I love. Just, you know, the, the milking the, the cringe. And I would say that to me, the finale I mean, the Sopranos finale gets a lot of hype. I was right? just like, thinking of comparison. Oh my god! Yeah. Okay, so it get, it gets so much hype. This is so much better yeah. than the Sopranos finale. It is so perfectly in keeping. The thing that I didn't like about the Sopranos finale was not the uh, whatever. Fine, leave me hanging. I don't care. Mm-hmm. What what I don't like is that I felt that it was very much at odds with the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel that it was in character. With the rest of the show, I thought that someone decided in, in The Sopranos, oh, this is clever, let's do this. Right. And everyone's like, yeah, that's so clever, everyone will be talking about it. Right. Uh, okay, great. In the meantime, the finale of this show is not only clever, but it is perfect. Yeah. Because it, it because from the very beginning, right, it, it sort of does a full circle. Rob is a fish out of water mm-hmm. in in Europe, they come to America mm-hmm. and they're literally both 
fish out of water. Mm -hmm. They are swimming together but apart. And at the end, we don't know if they're going to make it. Right. And we've never known if they're going to make it. And it, it's perfect. And there's there's just that moment where she goes into the literal water and he, and right in front of the sign that says like, do not go into the water. And mm-hmm. he has, and the kids are asleep in the car and he, he just sort of, there's just like a moment where the audience is, is paused and, say, and thinking like, what's he going to, and then he follows her into the water. And it's just the most perfect I, I felt like it captured the the show so well in all these facets. And it left us with this sense like we've been given a glimpse into this relationship and this storyline. It existed before and it'll exist after. And we don't know how it's going to turn out because nothing ever turns out. Like to your point about how realistic and true and authentic and genuine and it wasn't, it wasn't a well, it wasn't a sanitized version of anything. And, and, you know, to wrap up a story is what we're accustomed to. And unlike The Sopranos, which seemed to do leave it open-ended in an antagonistic way, this show did it in a way that let the viewer say, yeah, like, I- I'm with you. You know, I-, I also don't know, who knows, but we've never known. You know, the whole show, we've not known if it's going to work out or not work out. And there is no working out or not working out. It's just the two, you know, people trying to do their best and get through it and, you know, make a life together. And that, I love, I just loved it. Yeah, me too. Oh, <laughs> <sighs> even though I, I, I actually don't think they make it back. <laughs> but, but let's, uh, let's let that lie. Cause yeah. that says perhaps too much about me. <laughs> Anyway, well, it's such I've, a pleasure to talk to you as always is. about I, this. Yeah, I'm gonna just say I I racked my brain a little bit about like oh well who would I put on the couch and what would we do and you know this isn't that kind of show in some ways some of the side characters we haven't gotten into and I thought about oh I could talk about Chris who's just such a weird interesting guy and has such mm-hmm. a weird interpersonal style and how he talks and how he thinks and but one idea that I had since we've been focusing on the two protagonists Sharon and Rob. It was just that they could be a couple where they would be galvanized by meeting with a couples therapist where in the sessions they might have big arguments, explosive arguments, but after the session, they would come together and say, that therapist, you know, can you believe that guy or gal? Like, I can't, you know, and they they would actually bring them together in their unification of like, that's all BS, you know, like that's not something where we know what's going on. You and I, and I feel like that would, that's how it would go. And that by itself might be therapeutic for the two of them. I think that's a an interesting idea. I personally think, as an outsider with no professional background whatsoever, I feel that Rob would be more amenable to therapy mm-hmm. than would Sharon because Sharon is just, her defenses are way up. Mm-hmm. And Rob has already, through the course of the show, whether it's embarking upon this relationship, everything from the beginning, embarking on this relationship in the first place to the ending, follow, mm-hmm. following Sharon into indisputably dangerous waters. Right. He is someone who has exemplified over and over again that he's willing to take risks, mm-hmm. but to take risks in the direction of the other person. And I don't see, and I would love for you to, I'd love to see what kind of work 
Sharon could accomplish in mm-hmm. therapy of trying to break down some of her, yeah. you know, sky high defenses. Yeah. She would almost certainly begin by trying to win the therapy, you know, mm-hmm. I, that's my best guess is that she would come in trying to prove that she was, you know, like, um, not at fault for whatever and, you know, was, was doing more than her share, et cetera, et cetera. And so breaking that down and then trying to get past that, you know, I think would be a lot of the work. Right. All right. Well, catastrophe. What a joy that show was in a, in a, in the most visceral, not, not like smiling, happy joy, but just, it made you feel things and it made you feel things in a, in a reflection of, I don't know, it captured little bits and pieces of reality that I think, uh, we're so are so seldom reflected back to us on the screen. So agreed. Thanks it's, for talking worth about a re- it. Worth it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Worth a rewatch for those Absolutely. of you who uh, who saw it a while ago. It gets even better. All right. Till next time, everybody. Thanks. Bye. Please be advised that Characters on the Couch is a show focused only on fictional people, and none of the content should be considered medical or professional advice in any way. If you or someone you know is struggling with your mental health, please seek out professional consultation. Thank you. Thanks so much. Hope to see you guys next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.